Well, hello, everybody. Good morning once again. For those of you who might have missed me earlier, my name is Wayne, pastor here at DCC. And this month, we've been talking about relationships. We've been taking the month of February to talk about really all kinds of relationships, uh, especially romantic, but friendships, uh, parental, all those different things. And we've been learning foundations that help guide us for all the decisions that we make. And so if you've missed a Sunday, uh, the past three Sundays, the past three conversations are on our website. It's on our podcast, and you can go back and catch up on those because each of these principles are very important and can help you in all ways of life. Um, I don't know if you've ever been asked, uh, like, what's the best decision that you ever made? And it's interesting if you've been asked that question because a lot of times it, it is relational, and we're talking about relationships. And a significant decision that I have made that's up there uh, it was when I was engaged, so 16 years ago, my wife and I were engaged. In fact, <clears throat> I was flying through JFK at the time, and uh, it, was, it was like a year and a half before I moved here, uh, but my wife was in Boston, and, and I was trying to, you know, connect and get to Boston, but a huge snowstorm had hit New York City at this time of year. It's really hard to believe it. I mean, it's, it's actually really cold this weekend, so maybe it does seem possible, but we've not had much snow this, this winter. But it had been <clears throat> so much snow and cold that, like, planes were frozen. Uh, and so, you know, that morning, planes were frozen to the ground, and they couldn't actually get out of the gates. It was a huge mess. And so they were allowing flights into JFK, but no flights could get out. And so I was sitting here. I made it to JFK, and it was in JetBlue Terminal. And all of my friends from it felt like the entire country just kept pouring into the terminal that morning, and nobody could connect to their next flight and it turned into chaos. You know how that works. And I sat there. I was supposed to arrive in Boston at 10 a.m., and I have a backpack full of things, and one of them is an engagement ring, and I didn't know if I would make it to Boston, uh, but I was managed to connect the, connect the only flight that got out that day to Boston at 6 p.m. and uh, made it. The rest, they say, is history. That was a great decision I mean, it's maybe not a great decision to fly through the Northeast in February, you know, but you got to do what you got to do. And, but the decision to, uh, you know, propose to my now wife was a significant decision, and, uh, but not the best decision, uh, believe it or not. And I want to get into that today. Uh, we've been talking about four foundations. I can't help you go through every single relationship decision and conflict and, and struggle that you have, but I can give you foundations, principles to stand on that will help you be wise and help make great decisions and experience happiness because we've learned this year already that happiness is tied to our relationships. So here are the four foundations. We'll put them all four up here for you together. The first one we learned is who are you becoming especially when it comes to pursuing someone to date. Hopefully, maybe if you know, you're married, you know, you, we think about who's the person I'm finding, and that's important, their character. But we fail many times to think about who are we becoming. Are we allowing opportunities for ourselves to grow? You think about pursuing growth with your job. You pursue that for years. You put tens of thousands of dollars in that. But what about your heart? who you are becoming, because everything that you've done, your history, the decisions that you've made come with you. They don't just go away when you suddenly find marriage. And so who you are becoming is important, and that is a principle and a habit that we should develop. 
to seek input for others, to be in community, and to grow and to learn hard things because that habit needs to continue in our marriages because in our marriages, we've learned, is that they're designed to become one. The two become one is a central theme through all throughout Scripture that God has designed us for. And so relationships are, are beautiful because of this. So we see two things happen. We can go to the next slide here, is that, that we have intimacy. When the two become one, and this is what we love to pursue in relationships, the intimacy and the beauty. And God made us to be able to be with one another without shame. That's how it started. But we brought in, brought in brokenness to our world, what we call the fall, where we walked away from God, which is walking away from life and love. It means we brought death into the world and hardship. And so hardship is part of marriage. It's part of becoming one. You're two different people. I've shared some stories about that in this series, about my wife and I. And, you know, we're 15 years into a marriage now, and we're still learning to become one. And so there's a beauty and an intimacy of, of that, but then there's hardship and growth, becoming. It's God's design. And so those are three foundations, and today is really the foundation for all of them, and it's our priorities, our priorities. And Christ at the center. What's interesting is, uh, as a pastor, my world exists almost entirely in relationships. And when I talk with you, you're not coming for me uh, to me about you know getting advice for how to do your job. Uh, none of you are absolutely definitely not coming to me to help you with you know programming or design. You know, or like, you know, those types of things. Like, I can't, I can't, uh, I'm, I'm decent with an Excel sheet, but if some, for some of you, I'm horrible at it, you know, because you're so good at these things. And, and you're not coming to me to help me help you design a software or fill out a law document or write, you know, whatever. No, you're, when you come to me, you're asking me about advice for relationships almost entirely. We are seeking out wisdom. And when I need help, I'm seeking out wisdom. And a lot of times I go to coaches and other elders and pastors in my life that I seek out. And I do this regularly. Uh, many times I'm asking for help in my job, but what I'm finding is it's, I'm learning how to navigate myself and I'm learning how to navigate others. We are seeking wisdom for our life. And for me, the, the critical decisions that I've made in my life all come back to Christ being the foundation and the priority of my life. He is the center and the driving force behind every single major decision that I make. My decisions to follow Christ and to pursue Him and have Him be the, the, the central figure in which I do everything is is the most important decision that I've made. Proposing to my wife was up there, but that was driven by him. The character that he led me to pursue began to help me seek out the character that I found in her. And when I began to see the character in her, I began to you know, go after it all the way. I didn't see that at first, if you know my story, and I finally wised up. Uh, but he is the driving force every area of my life. 
and it, it affects the decisions I made as a parent. And people walk up to Aaron and I, and they say, like, oh, your kids seem really well behaved, and they're, they engage in a certain way. And this is because of the wisdom that we found in Christ and the wisdom we've sought out from others because we don't know everything. And we've made that a habit in our life. Now, <clears throat> pursuing Christ and having him at the foundation of my life does not make everything perfect. That's not what I'm going to make the point of today. And, and I'm not pursuing him for it to go great or to go perfectly. I know that pursuing him sometimes it walks me into difficult situations because of my pursuit of him. And so but what we find is, is God and his pursuit of us is the ultimate foundation that will drive you if you allow him. And we find wisdom and power. But sometimes the wisdom of God doesn't appeal to us. It seems like foolishness. And in fact, the Apostle Paul saw this in such a beautiful way. And Paul, you know, was someone who understood the teachings of Christ. God had gifted him in that. And, and he just wrote letters after letters to the early churches. And in his instruction, he brings out this phrase, and it'd be easy to just kind of skip over this, but it, it's so profound the more that I think about it. Um, he begins to talk about what's wise and what's powerful. And this is what our world today is so after, is how to be really wise and how to be powerful. And so we find this in 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says this. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so he, he brings out two things here, foolishness and power or wisdom and power. And in the audience that he was writing to, that's what they sought after, the, those who were Jewish. He was always engaging in a Jewish audience and what he called the Gentile audience, those that who were not of, of the Jewish faith. And, and the, the Jews were after power. That's, what they, you know, that's why Jesus did miracles. And then the Gentiles were, were all about wisdom and knowledge. But when it comes to Christ and what he did and the cross, it seems like foolishness to them. And so for them, it's, it's dumb and it's weak. And there are many things that God may ask us to do that feel or seem to those around us that are, are weak or foolish. But you and I, we, we need that strength. And so he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 1.25, he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And there's this treasure that we find. There's a treasure that you will find what seems to be foolish is wiser than anything that we would ever pursue. He says, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And if you pursue God and you are invited into this, and we, we, we hope this is a safe place for you to come and to ask your questions of God, in your pursuit of God, you should seek into and look into Jesus' instructions. Because what we find is when we, we find a treasure that's greater than any wisdom that we have. And the truth is, we need strength. We need wisdom. You cannot do it on your own. You are limited. And we, we love to get after it here in the city, and we are able to do things at a very high level and to, for many of you in the jobs that you have and to just live in this culture and in this, this, you know, this city, there is a level that you have to live at that you are able to do successfully. 
And that brings a lot of strength and pride. But even there, we are limited and we are faced with that. You are seeking out wisdom. Maybe that's why you are here today. And that is the message and the beauty of what Paul referred to as the, of the cross, where Jesus gave up his life. It just seemed foolish and weak for the God of this world to come and have to die and to give himself up like that. But it's actually the beauty of what sets us free. And so if I can teach you anything, it is to pursue Christ as your foundation. And when it comes to relationships, having him lead your life gives you a strong foundation. It gives you strength to make principled decisions, to say no when things are hard. We cannot do that on our own. And we, God will lead us towards life. He will lead us towards these decisions that are the best for our lives. In Psalms it says, I will guide you towards the best pathways. God wants to lead us in that way, and we're learning to trust Him with this and the beauty. All going back to the two becoming one is a picture of beauty, intimacy. And that's what we want to have in mind when we come to our relationship. God's made you to be one with one another. And so I want to read through this passage in Ephesians. This is where Paul is writing to this early church in Ephesus. And he begins to describe this relationship with our Heavenly Father. He says this, this is found in Ephesians 1. He says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. There's that, that, that picture of being united, being one. This is God's desire for us. But if you, if you, we, we talked about last week, we broke that because of the fall, and we brought brokenness into the world, and we feel that in our relationships, what we call sin, where we brought our brokenness and we hurt one another. We hurt ourselves, as we're going to find out here in a little bit. He's called us back to this unity. So we are united with Christ. He said, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. This is his plan to, to bring us back to the beauty from our fall. He knew that we would walk away from him. He gave us the freedom of choice. That is loving. He didn't make us robots. And he knew we would walk away from life towards death, but he made a way for us to be redeemed and, and for us to be fully without fault in his eyes. Now, if any of you know me, and our leaders here, as they get to know me more and more, I mention this all the time, I'm not perfect. I, I'm, I'm broken. My wife will tell you this. My kids will tell you that. But you are not either. And you would say, well, I can see faults. But when we become Christ followers, God sees us as if he sees Christ. And because of Christ, he's made us to be without fault in God's eyes. And that's beautiful. We call it the beautiful exchange where we get what Christ deserved and he got what we deserved, which was death. That is the beauty of the cross. And so he continues here. He says, God decided in advance to adopt himself uh, by bringing us through, to himself through Jesus Christ to adopt us into his family. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He's really excited about this. And so Paul says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong 
to his dear son. Belong. I love that word. It's a part of our descriptions here in our, in our church culture where we are called, we are made to belong, to be part of his family. He continues here. He says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sin. This is also the beauty of the cross. He is rich in kindness. We deserve death, but he took it in our place. He says, he has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Believing in him brings wisdom and understanding. God has now, he says, he continues, God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan, that at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ and everything in heaven and on earth. He says, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. And this speaks to purpose. This speaks how you were made to be eternal, that he's given us an inheritance, that this is the foundation for what we believe as Christ's followers. And it means that the lives we live now are significant. And for in, in, in those who are, say, they're secularists or humanists or naturalists, whatever it may be, they are longing. And you can read about it over and over again at the end of their lives. They're longing. That they, they say this cannot just be it. There's something in us that says you were made for more. And Christ showed us and proved, this, proved that for us. His death and his resurrection show that he has power over the grave. He shows that God exists, that we are made to be eternal. And this brings out beauty and hope. And then he ends with this. He says, in this, this passage in Ephesians 1, he says, He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. Because this is what will bring us the most satisfaction. He is the best thing that we can pursue above anything else that we think will make us happy. He is the one that is ultimate in beauty. He is calling us towards beauty towards intimacy, and towards unity. That's been the picture of this whole series. It's what makes relationships beautiful and what will drive you in your marriage to work through those times that are hard because you will have hardship. That's by design. And when we lean through those hard times, we will find a greater beauty, a greater intimacy. And it's, and it's worth pursuing. And the, the message of the cross also shows us redemption, that God is in the business of redeeming everything and restoring it. And we can experience that in all relationships if we allow him. There's always hope. And so when we know this, it gives us the strength to lean in. And I can tell you right now, there's many times in your relationships, and especially in your marriages, where you do not want to lean in. <laughs> My wife and I have experienced this. And what, what drives us to work out differences we're committed and we're called to become one. And we've learned to lean in and to lean in. And we're both sometimes literally on the other side of the room from each other. <laughs> we just pause for a moment and then we engage. 
We walk towards the beauty. And there's no way we could do that really without Christ driving us. We know that he's come to make peace in our hearts and with one another, and our world needs this example desperately right now. We don't know how to do this. That's why I love reading uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, This is not a direct quote, uh, but he had such an unbelievable understanding. God had gifted him in understanding the the relationship between peace and justice. He said, that peace is not the absence of tension. You know, many times we're told, just ignore it, just ignore it, just let things be the way that they are. He's like, no, no, peace isn't the absence of tension. It's the presence of justice. Because when we know that someone will act justly on your behalf, that is what makes you have peace. You see this in, in our culture, in our world, right, where some, something bad has happened and there's somebody in the loose, somebody needs to be caught, and we, we're not, we cannot rest until we know that that's happened, that justice has been brought, and then we can exhale. Even if a horrible event has taken place, we need to have something happen, and that's why we need a just God. But the just God said that there, there's a punishment for the wrong that we've done, But then instead of giving that to us, he took our place. And we call this submission. If you remember, the process of becoming one is in all of our relationships, in the church, our relationship with God, as we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we give up what we want for the sake of the others. And God did this first. Christ came to us and made himself like a slave is what Scripture says, lower than anything else to the death on the cross so that we might have life and joy. He submitted first, and we submit to Him. And we declare that He is our beauty, and He is our source of truth. That is what it means to begin a relationship with God, to say, you are my God, and I submit to you. Why? For the joy to be redeemed, to be forgiven, to be unified for eternity, all of those things. But this is not easy. (laughs) Speaking of the foolishness of God, let me bring out one of the hardest instructions and principles that God leads us towards. Paul was writing to this church in 1 Corinthians. I've been, I was reading from that earlier. We're talking about the foolishness and wisdom. And this was, this was a culture that they didn't know God at all, and they were just like, everything goes. Like crazy stuff. If you read through Corinthians, you're like, oh, my goodness. I thought I had drama and was messed up in my life or my family. You're like, man. And so he's like, hey, this is not okay. Like they needed to know. But this is so relevant for us. So he begins to speak about this. This is found in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say. And Paul's response is like, but not everything is beneficial. You say, I have the right to do anything. And Paul says, he says, but, he says, but I will not be mastered 
by anything. And it's such a wise thing. I don't have time to go into that. But, but our desires, our appetites that we pursue lead us to be enslaved, not actually make us happy. He says, I will not be mastered by anything. He says, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food. He says, but God will destroy them both. Their appetites, they don't last forever. And he says this, he says, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And so he begins to paint this picture of this committed relationship that we have with God. He says, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. We're brought out of death into life. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? We're unified. We are one. He says, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. To which if you're reading this, you're like, man, that escalated really quick in a strange way. But he's like speaking to things that's going on in this church. He's like, he's like you need to understand how, how powerful a sexual relationship is, is what he's talking about. But he's also talking about how, you know, the power of unity and our relationship with God. He says, no, he's never. He says, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And then he gives them this command, and he says, flee from sexual immorality. All right, well, what does that mean? What would that specifically mean? And it means that any... Sex out of a marriage relationship is what the Scripture, what Christ and what the Bible has defined for us as sexual immorality. God has made us to experience this incredible relationship uniquely within a marriage-committed relationship. And that is foolishness (laughs) to the world around us. But Paul is so profound here. 2,000 years ago, he wrote this. And we've just now caught up to it in the last several decades. He says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. Like when you say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, I didn't mean to hurt you. He says, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And it's so true. We now understand this because right, we, we, we have laws about this. We know that it affects you, it affects others because of that. And you feel it. And you can even set your own rules about what this is, but you'll still violate yourself and you feel it. And he's so incredibly wise, way ahead of his time. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? He says, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, let's leave that last line up. Because... This is the new ethic that's beautiful. But this is the foolishness of God. Number one, everybody, most everybody, if, you know, if I know you, I don't sleep under a rock, by the way, when I'm saying this. Like, everybody's like, well, we've all messed this up in some kind of way. And that's kind of the point of the series is this is the ideal that God has made you to be that will lead you to incredible intimacy and beauty. And we want to pursue this. And it forces you to say, well, do I really trust God with this? What's fascinating is, is that, is that secular studies, non-religious studies, have, have studied this topic. And, and when people live this out, they are the happiest. They are the best relationships. It's proven scientifically. It's, it's fascinating. 
But Paul raised the bar, and this changed the world at the time because it, it dominated women. It, it, it dominated, it, it, made, it made children to be like they were nothing. They didn't care. And the early church began to live this ethic out, and it literally changed the world. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. As a Christ follower, we begin to say, I give up what I want for you. And that seems like foolishness, but what we find is a treasure. A wisdom that is wiser than anything we could find. A power that is more powerful than the weakest. The weak, a weakness that seems weak is more powerful than anything that we've ever experienced. We find redemption. We find forgiveness. We reclaim the beauty in our, in our relationships. And so this is what it means to step in obedience. And there will be times as a Christ follower you will wrestle with God's truth for your life, but we wrestle with it because we know that he's leading us towards beauty. We obey, not because of rules, but because of a relationship. We obey, not because we're worried about being struck by lightning. You know, we've, we've heard that analogy, oh, you know, did I, do, I, I did something like I didn't obey the Ten Commandments. No, God, God took the lightning away. He views us. He, he made it. His purpose right, we read this at the beginning, was that he would see us as, as if we had no faults. As God sees Christ, he now sees us. We obey because we know we won't be struck by lightning. He's taken that away. God didn't really do that anyway. <laughs> we begin a relationship with God saying, okay, when we be... When we begin a relationship with Christ, we believe, we walk away from our self-willed life and towards him, and we are baptized. The first thing that Jesus asks us to do is to take the step of baptism. We begin by obeying. You can put this up on the screen. And for some of you, that's your first step that you should consider as a foundation for your life. This is your choice. It is a free gift you choose to accept. And maybe you want to pursue what that means, and you're welcome to go on a journey with us and just keep attending and ask your questions. But maybe some of you are there to believe and be baptized. That is a first foundation that will impact all of your relationships. And then if you are a Christ follower here today, you need to live out your purpose and your calling. You need to serve. And that's what we're going to do here in just a couple of minutes. Is we're going to give you the opportunity to take steps to engage and be part of this church family and engage this city. You were made to belong and to love others. And so you're invited to do that in, in our church family. Today, when we're done, you got the stickers. Sylvia's going to help us do this. We're going to have tables of our team. And there's Sunday serving teams. Like you can audition for our worship team. Or be part of our production. The guys are hidden in the building doing stuff right now. And they're amazing. There's our first impressions team. If, you're, if you love to host and to decorate. Or we have a greeter team, a connection team to help connect you. We have an amazing kids team that you can be part of. 
Or during the week, we have uh, communication, creative needs. You guys saw the winter waffle graphic? Like, someone made that for us like three years ago. And some of you have an amazing gift that you can create things, and it, and it brings out beauty. Uh, you can be part of simple service. Simple service will impact the city where we hand out invites at the pass station. Many people are here with us today. Their lives have changed because someone did simple service. I want to encourage every one of us who are Christ followers in this church family to serve. And you don't actually have to believe in God or to serve either, and many of you do that. You're welcome, and we invite you to live out your purpose and experience purpose and then engage in relationships and community. We're learning to follow God and make him the boss of our lives because he's the best thing we can pursue. That's the foundation that you will never regret. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your words to us in this incredible series, and I pray that it's something that we will put into practice and experience the incredible joy and intimacy greater than what we've experienced before. I pray that that will be so in our marriages, in our relationships, in our friendships, our roommates, in our future relationships. We thank you, Father. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.